Hello and welcome to another episode of Daf Shui, Weekly Daf. Give me 40 minutes or so and I'll give you a Daf or so. So it's been a minute. It's now the 29th day of the Omer as I am recording here in the Beit Midrash in the closet. I'm Arye Cohen and this is Daf Shui. When last we met, there was still a smidgen of a hope of women having reproductive rights and that's gone. And as I turned on my various screens after Shabbos, another racist white supremacist attack killed 10 people in Buffalo, New York. And there was a shooting in downtown Los Angeles and things are so bad that the shooting in downtown Los Angeles didn't even make it to the front page of the Los Angeles Times online. So that's where we are. We are a country that is racked by a racism problem, a white supremacy problem and a gun problem, a white people problem, white people with guns problem. And police will not keep us safe. But we are moving towards uh, revelation, whatever that means. Moving towards our relation on the 29th day, we have uh, 20 more days to go. <laughs> Math. Okay, so here we are in our comfy little bait midrash in the closet. Every 10 days or so, we try to bring you the highest quality dafshui programming available on this site. We so appreciate your being here with us, pulling up a chair to our imaginary table and joining in the centuries-old process of asking the question, what were the rabbis thinking? So... Now, we are asking for you, if you are able, to be partners in this venture by going to our Patreon page, which is linked to the podcast page, and becoming card-carrying members of the Bay Midrash. Cards not included. Remember, we are not one of those corporate Dafyomi outfits. We're much more of a rickety storefront shtibel Dafyomi. Thank you so much. Who's Daf? Our Daf! Who's Daf? Our Daf! Who's Daf? Our Daf! So we are on the bottom, the way bottom of... Pevav Amudbet 86b in the layout which was published by the widow and brothers Ram in Vilna low these 150 years ago. So we're going to go back just to remind ourselves what we are about. We are discussing a statement by Rav and Shmuel. A few lines up in in uh, Pevav Amudbet. Rav Shmuel Dami Travaya, Rav Shmuel, both of whom said, "Kur bishloshim ani If a man says, "I am selling a kur for thirty dinars," yechol achzorbo afilu achrona. So the buyer can renege even in the last sea. Kur is thirty sea. Kur bishloshim sea b'sel ani rishon rishon kana. But if he says, "I am selling you a kur for thirty dinars." And each sea for a sela. So then the buyer buys them, acquires them one at a time as each one is poured in. And we talked about the fact that there were lines in the core to see where we're up to, shnatot, lines in the core. And so each one is, as it's poured in, it is acquired by the, uh, by the buyer. And so uh, that's what we're under this conversation. There was one Tashma, which we did last time, and now we're up to, now we're on, right on the bottom of the page, Tashma, Hasocher et ha-poel lasot imo legoren hayom bedinar, v'lagoren yafesela, asur leanot mimeno. So if somebody hires a worker, and he hires a worker to work with him in harvest, in the harvest season, but he hires him today, and today is and there's a there's a, an important question what the phrase there is it's hayom or mehayom from this day or mi dinar liom 
for, you know, what is actually the, the exact articulation, which is very important. But if he hires them today, before, which is prior to the harvest season, and he hires him for a dinar every day, but the harvest season, he could get work for a sella, right? And a sella is four dinars. So he could, he, so if he, if the guy would have waited for the harvest season, he would have gotten paid more. So the employer is not allowed to, to get, is not allowed to do that. So leanot mimenu is here is a, it's an interesting phrase because asur lehanot, what does it mean to benefit from? It means that what's going on is that the owner is paying the guy prior to the work. Well, usually you pay him after the work, but he's paying him less in order to guarantee him. So this seems like rebeat, a certain type of paying interest, which is called agar natarle, right? Payment in order to wait for him. And agar natarle is, uh, becomes an important uh, is an important term in this whole thing. And so just to set a baseline, the Me'iri defines Agarnatale as a klal gadol shabribit, a, a, a central principle in interest. Any Agarnatale, any, anyone who does this, who says, pays money for waiting for the job, he pays an employer, an employee, so that he will have the job, Asur, it is forbidden. Perish kol schar v'reba al-chaba b'shvil hamtanat ma'ot o hakdamatan. Any payment or any profit which comes because of waiting for payment or for paying earlier. For example, if the the sale is not now, is the the item that's being sold now is not in the hands of the seller. And because of that, he makes the payment lower, he lowers the payment so that the buyer will give him money earlier or that the buyer buys it and he doesn't have the money now. And then he makes the payment, makes it, uh, the seller says, but it's going to cost you more because I'm going to have to wait for my money. And essentially, if somebody's buying with a credit card, right, you end up paying more because you have to pay the interest on the credit card. So if the buyer says, I know you don't have the money now, but you'll pay me uh, an extra $10 in a month. So that is all interest. Or if the seller says, you know, the, the here's the money. The buyer says, well, I don't have the thing now. I don't have your couch. Um, so the seller says, the buyer says, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll wait for it, but you have to pay me for that. That's also considered interest. So that's the that's the category of agarnatar, of money for waiting for it. Rashi says that it is schar hamtana. It is the payment for the waiting, and that is considered rebeat. Now, here, in our case, it's not exactly the same thing, and that's part of the question. In other words, it's not, there's no thing that is being bought, but rather it is contracting with a worker. But contracting with a worker now, in January, for the harvest in April, right? And therefore, the worker is going to work in April, but if the worker waited till April, the worker would get more money. But the contractor says, here, I'll give you all your money up front now, but you will work for me in April. So in that situation, this Brighta says that it's forbidden 
to uh, to benefit from that kind of a, a, from that kind of an arrangement. Aval im sicharo mehayom bedinar liyom v'lagorin yefeselim utar. But if he says to him, if the the contractor says to the worker, no, start working for me today, and I will pay you a dinar every day, even though. If the worker had not worked until, had not, you know, had waited, he could have gotten four times as much for just working for the harvest. Still, that's okay because he's working, he's starting to work. So he's not, it's not, he's not paying him. He's not making money. The owner is not making a profit from the fact that the worker waits or that he he guarantees his work because he's starting to work with him today. Okay. So that's what the brightness says. Now, this is coming as a question to Rav and Shmuel, because Rav and Shmuel, this seems to be, and the, the issue here is that it seems to be that here the owner says, I'll give you 30 dinar for the 30 days of harvest work right now, but you only start working for me in the future. That's, that's forbidden. And the question then is, why is that not like when uh, Rav and Shmuel say, that if he says, I'm selling you a core for 30 slaim, but each sela, each sela is, is, is worth a sela. So then he acquires it one at a time as it goes. And then it, it seems that that wouldn't be, that that's no problem, according to Rabin Shmuel. But here we say that that seems to be the same thing as what he says, I'm selling it to you, and therefore it's forbidden. I'm hiring you now, and it's forbidden. So that seems to be the problem, and that's what our Gemara, Stam, is, is, is going to ask in a minute. If you're going to say that if I if I say I'm going to sell a core for 30 sellers, but each seah is a seller, um, so then you buy it for as you know as it is poured into the the bucket you acquire it. Hachinami kamakam Here too he acquires each one one day at a time. I um, mean, so why is it forbidden to uh, to acquire it to to benefit from it? mutar. And on the other hand, from if he says for a dinar for every day, and even though the the harvest season, it is four times as much. It's a seller. That's that's uh, permitted. Why? Is that not agar Is that is that not paying for waiting for it, profiting off of giving the money early? Okay. Amarava betizbara zilzule b'schirot miasir. So Rava says, no. Let's let's think about this. The difference between this Braita and Rav and Shmuel is that. You're allowed to negotiate payment downwards. Okay, so there's a lot to to unpack here. There's a lot to unpack here. So first of all, it seems that the problem is that according to Robin Shmuel, say that in a case of selling a core for thirty when uh, for thirty sella and each sella sella, so then you buy each one as it comes. And if this is the case, in the case of days until the goren until the the harvest, it would mean that every day is a separate acquisition, and therefore agarnatar. That is, he is overpaying every day so that the worker will work for him, and that is because he can renege every day. Okay, now. The one that's permitted, where he says, 
Schero Me'ayom. So Rashi and the Ad Ramah, if I, I, I hire you today, from today, for a dinar for every day. So both Rashi and the Ad Ramah say that the reason is because it's considered as a Yoma Arichta, as one long day, so therefore you're not paying for not working, but it's as if you're paying for every day together. It's not completely clear to me why that construct is needed rather than just saying that you're already starting to work, which seems to be what the Gemara will say later on. Now, the interesting thing here, a couple of interesting things. First of all, a lot of the manuscripts don't have the Stamaitic comment. Several of the manuscripts don't have the Stamaitic comment. The comment, the Isakadatach Korbishloshim Seah. So what's going on here? And those who do have different comment than our printed edition. Right, so in the Escorial manuscript, and the question is, if you're going to say that I, in the case of, I will sell you a kur for 30 when and each seah is worth one selah, rishon, rishon, kana, so then you acquire each one, one at a time. So why then, if you say a dinar for every day, it is mutar, because you're making an acquisition on every day. Because if that's the case, then he can renege in the last days. So therefore, each day is an acquisition and not the whole thing. It's not like buying the whole thing. And therefore, every day there's an agarnatar, and then you have rubber. Right? So it's a different, it seems to be a different, though similar, comment. Now, in other words, the comment being, like we said, that there is a comparison. They're trying to make a comparison between the case of hiring a worker and the case of selling a core of oil. And that in the case of hiring a worker, they want to have you think of every single day as a different acquisition, just like in the case of the core that you... Uh, if you say, I'm selling it to you 30, but I'm selling each seah with a seller, then you buy it individually. Um, so therefore, in the case of the worker, if you're saying that I will give you a dinar for every day, that each day is acquired separately. So it's what happened, seemed to have happened, is that or that was what it was originally. And then Rava comes along and says, no, is there, there's no problem because we're talking here about negotiating down a salary. Right? We're talking about a different thing. It's not a loan, and it's not a, a sale, a regular sale. It's salary, and so therefore negotiating down a salary is a whole different thing, and you don't have ona'a on it in the same way, or even in a similar way. So that's why it's different. Now, the comment was seems to have happened is that over time, people were saying, well, what really is the question? Because there seems to be a step missing, Right? You have Rav and Shmuel who are talking about a, selling a core's worth of oil. And then all of a sudden you have a Brita which talks about hiring a worker. And then Rav says, yeah, it's not, it's not the same. So what is it? So uh, it seems that what happened was at various points, people figured out what their Svarah was. And you have Rashi has more or less the same thing when Rashi in his, in his comment on Avalim Scharome Ayom on eighty seven a he has a he has a similar comment it seems that and it doesn't seem that that is he's quoting the Gemara, but it seems that he didn't have that in the Gemara and it also seems that Yad Ramad didn't have that piece in the Gemara and so this was a later edition of the manuscripts, and that's why it doesn't exist in many of the manuscripts and in some manuscripts it's different so we have an interesting case here of a 
a, a scribal edition of something which probably started out on the side of a manuscript page as a suggestion for what the Gemara meant, for what was meant, what was intended by the Tashma, by the the challenge to Rabin Shmuel, and then that in, that 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 gradually invaded the page, as it were, and became part of the printed edition that was published by the the widow and the brothers Rome. I mean, it's earlier than that. We have we see that it's in the Escorial manuscript in some ways. Okay, now, so the question that is that is posed here, or one of the questions that is posed here, is what is what is labor, right? Is labor a fixed unit or is labor something that is just negotiated, right? Rava seems to say, is, is it forbidden to negotiate down the uh, wages for labor? And Rashi says on this that he, Rashi, in distinguishing between labor and other things like loans or, or, or acquisitions, says leka. The, the payment for labor of a person, there is no claim of, of interest for waiting for the payment, right? Because it's the way of a worker that a worker will rent himself out, will, will hire himself out for any money when he doesn't have anything to eat. And anything that the the worker can get from the owner is a profit for him. Therefore, and in the end, when he says, but if he if he hired him from today for a dinar every day, there's no interest at all. There's no interest at all, right? Because he's uh, a worker will work. Basically, what Rashi's saying is a worker will work for anything. Now, that's an interesting claim, right? And it uh, kind of reflects a certain, I'm sure it reflects a certain Weltanschauung, a certain living reality of Rashi's time, which is, you know, the uh, uh, 12th century, 11th century in northern France. However, it's not only there, because there's also, we have, we, we see various things like this in the Gemara, and the Gemara talks about laborers. And what are we talking about when we're talking about laborers? We're talking about mainly free laborers who uh, would hire themselves out for the season, but we're also talking about sometimes small farmers who can't make enough money just on their farms, so they hire themselves out for other farms. So, for example, um, we have, there's a, a sugya in Bava Metzia on uh, 77a, where they're talking about a whole process of what happens when uh, a contractor goes out and speaks in the name of an owner and tries to hire workers. But there, there are a couple of interesting cases. So, one is... Right, so let's say let's go out and see how much workers will be hired for, will work for. You can't be no, because some workers will hire out for four, and some workers will hire out for three. Dinar sell out for a and they could say to the balabai, they could say to the to the to the contractor, if you hadn't said to us four for a day, we would have gone someplace else and found four, right? Which seems to seems to imply that the labor market is is more fluid. But then the gemara goes on. So rather, we're not talking about uh, free laborers. But we're talking about not talking about laborers who are just wandering laborers. But we're talking about a laborer who is also a balabai, a laborer who also is a farmer or, or 
and uh, has his own field. And he says, if you hadn't offered me four, it would not have been worth my while to work for three. Or... Or another possibility that we're talking about actual workers. Since you said force, then we're going to work better. We're going to do a better work. What do you mean you're going to do better work? Just look at what the work is. So actually, no, you can't do it because what they're working on is, is irrigation channels. You can tell if, if, it, if a, an irrigation channel is good. No, because it fills up with water, and then you can't see actually how the workmanship was. So the the idea, though, is that it seems, and this is the way Rashi explains that Gemara, that uh, labor is not a a quantity, right? There is no quantity. Labor is not a given quantity, right? You don't have you don't have a pound of work, and therefore it doesn't have a fixed price. It's open to negoti- It's open to to negotiation between a worker. And and the balabayat, the guy who, who who hires the worker, and that seems to come into play here. So Rava is saying that there's a difference between work and uh, uh, buying a car, right? Because in work there is no fixed price, so you can't have ona'a. Ona'a, you can't have fraud, which is a sixth. You can't overcharge because there's no bottom line on the work. And the Yad Ramah here says that, and this is something that's interesting, Chaim Reines, who's a, 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 an Israeli scholar in the 50s and 60s, wrote a book about Hapoel Bamekral Ubechazal, Ubesifrut Chazal, the worker in the Bible and in rabbinic literature. And he also says this, but the, the Yad Ramah said it a bunch of centuries before him. He says, right? He says that a, a, a Jew whose body is not bought, there is no fraud, right? There's no ona'a, right? There's no overcharging, right? And he says that distinguishes that from, um, you know, you could rent out a cow and then you could overcharge and then uh, you could be sued for overcharging and you have to pay ona'a, you have to, you have to pay for overcharging or, or even an enslaved person. But since a free person is not acquired, and Reiner says that this is kind of a trade-off, an ethical trade-off, in that there's no acquisition in the body of a worker. However, therefore, you have this possibility of zilzula, of downward negotiation, right? There's no necessary floor. And that's why Rashi says that if, you know, a worker is in a, in a tough situation, then they'll work for whatever they can get, right? Because it's better than nothing and they have to eat. Even though, right, you have, we also had earlier, we saw in the first parak on on Chet Amud Bet, 8b, that the Bnei Ha'ir, the town council, can set a limit on wages, right? They can set a either a, and, and there there's a difference between the Rishonim, between Rashi and the Yad Ramah, whether that's a lower limit or an upper limit, right? The Yad Ramah is worried about the fact that they can set, they need to set an upper limit because otherwise the uh, owners will go broke. And Rashi saying, no, they're talking about setting a lower a lower limit. And so our Gemara here is, we see just a little bit, they just mention it, but there, there's, it's a kind of a keyhole into the fact that the labor situation is a real thing, that, that labor itself, right, is given to the fluctuations of the marketplace there. And I wanted to read something 
This is from Peter Tamman, The Labor Market of the Early Roman Empire. So this is a little earlier than what we're talking about, but it kind of covers the same the same thing. In particular, rural slaves hardly comprise an undifferentiated gang of laborers. Certain lists of rural slave jobs are as varied as the known range of urban or household slave jobs. Some rural laborers receive peace rates and others daily wages. Right? So there is this whole, so the negotiations was a real thing. And on the other hand, most free workers were farmers, many of them tenant farmers, although employment categories in the countryside were fluid. Right. So that's the, that's what we saw in the Gemara and Bav Metzia. So free workers were, were themselves farmers. And then and this is talking about in the Persian, in the Russian Empire, but in the Persian Empire, Sincerian Persia, no, there's not much information on the exact status of the free peasants who are organized associations, whether or not they're entirely independent proprietors of the lands that they worked on or received them from the royal house as concessions. And so here we have evidence, actually, that actually the notion of free peasants or or free laborers was a real thing, because which is interesting because the, the scholars uh, note that there's a, a there is there's a paucity of evidence about workers in in rural in the rural areas in in Sasanian Persia. One final thing, Rava, who's the one who says here that you're allowed to negotiate down, was very involved in working. So just this whole thing about what we were just talking about that their sources on labor. Rava seems to have been very involved. And in the continuation of that sugya in Bav Metzia, a couple of pages later, on 76b, 77a, he says a bunch of things about labor, which seems to be grounded in a real understanding of what it means to be a worker. Ki Rava, like Rava says, Haiman agar agira lerifka, person who hires a worker to create a system of aqueducts or watering. And then all of a sudden there was rain and it was all filled with water. And if you do that, then you can't, right? So you can't build the, uh, the, 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 the drainage ditches. So if he had, uh, say to the poem. So if he went out, if the owner had gone out the night before to check it out, so then the fact that it rained and the workers couldn't work is the workers' loss. But if the Baalbayat had not gone out, if the owner had not gone out and, uh, uh, you know, checked the area the night before to see whether or not they could work well, so that is a loss for the Baalbayat, a loss for the owner. And he has to pay his workers as workers who are not working. And Rabba further says, Person who hire their workers to to water their their to irrigate their their land, and then water came, so that's the loss of the workers. But if the river overflow overflowed, um, so that is a loss of the owners. And then the the owner has to pay the workers uh, for unemployment, as it were. And furthermore, somebody who hires workers for for watering, and uh, the river the the river stopped in for in the middle of the day. Ilo avid the pasik say to the polim. If this is unusual, so then the workers have to take the loss and they just go home. They can't do anything more. Avid the pasik, but if it's usual that the river stops in half a day. So then, if the workers are local, so then they should know that. 
So then they have to take the loss and the fact that they can't work the rest of the day. But if they are itinerant workers, so then it's on the owner. So here is a person hires workers and they finish their work in half a day. If the owner has work that is easier than that, so he gives them that work to do. And the same thing if he does a, if he has work that is similar, a similar level of hardship, of, uh, so he gives it to them. But he can't demand that they, that they do harder work because they had contracted to do this type of work. He has to give them their whole, their whole salary. So here we have both the fact that, you know, we have all these things together. Itinerant workers, so some workers know what the local conditions are, some workers don't know, know what the lo- local conditions are. You have uh, the fact that some workers are, you know, that there are other conditions that come in, rain and other stuff. And, and Rubba seems to be very involved in all of these types of things. And you have workers that finish off in half a day. And, and Rubba seems to be very much on top of all these different things, uh, these different occurrences in, in terms of workers in Persia. This week's podcast is brought to you by Plugta, the original social conflict consultancy. Do you ever wonder why Hillel always won and Shammai went home empty-handed? Why Abaya always got the participation trophy while Rubba's opinion became law for generations? Well, we can tell you. Plugta will teach you how to lean into conflict, how to lean in so far that Uncle Max will cry uncle. They can get a free trial just in time for Tishabov. As Ram Dass wisely said, if you think you are enlightened, go home for the holidays. Well, this time, when you go home for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, make sure that you go armed with a social knowledge that all your favorite sages had. This time, when your cousin Morty starts in again with his favorite troglodyte theory about politics, you will be prepared with a Raminu, an Ibcha Mistabra, an Adarava, and he will be sitting in silence until next year. Right now, exclusively for listeners of this podcast, you go to www.plukta.com slash dafshui. You can take a free conflict-style assessment test, and we will set you up with a very reasonably priced course that will make you the bar Plukta to fear in no time. Okay. So here we go. So that's uh, just a little insight into the situation of day laborers in the Sasanian Empire from the Talmud. We're continuing. Maishna Reisha, Maishna Seifa. So what's the difference between the Reisha, the first part of the Brita of that we just read, the one who hires a worker to work in the uh, with him in the in the harvest? The first part, the first line, it seems, the first line where he's not, where the worker is not working together with the owner from this minute, then it seems like it's agernatoli, that he's paying him to, so that he will do the work when the work comes up. And that is that type of interest. Seifa, but the end where it says, if he were, if he hired him from today, with a dinar for a day, Avid the Ka'avid by a day, since he did actually work together with him, Mehashta from this moment, La Merzeki Aganatale. It doesn't seem like it is Aganatale. So it is there, there it is not comparable to Aganatale, to this type of interest. Okay, and that's how we clarify Robin Shmuel's statement. Okay, so we went back to the, the Mishnah where it says that if something was was connected to the ground when he was buying it and he pulled it up, 
so then he acquired it. Mishum de Talash Kalshu Kana, since any piece of it was pulled out of the ground, so then he acquired it. Amar Abshesh, Hachamayas Kinan. Shoshesh said, What are we talking about? The Amarle, Lech Yapelacha Karka Kalshu Ukni Komashada. He said to him, If he said to him, Go and acquire any piece of land and acquire it and everything that is on it. In that case, if he if he pulled out anything, so that pulling out is considered an acquisition and he gets it and it's his. Okay, that's the end of the Mishnah. Next Mishnah. Yay. Okay, now we're cooking with solar. Hamocher yayin b'shemen l'chabero v'hukru o'shu Somebody sells wine or or oil to their fellow and they and in the process of the selling, right? This is what we're talking. In the process of the selling, the wine or the oil became more expensive or less expensive. Price went up or more price went down. If the price went up or down before the uh, measuring vessel was filled, so then it it goes to the seller, whether the the Profit or the loss. But if the measuring vessel was filled from after the time the measuring vessel was filled, so then the profit or loss goes to the buyer. And if there was a middle person, right, that the, the seller gave it to this middleman, an agent of some kind, and the, the agent then sold it to the buyer. So then if the jar that he poured, that he was carrying the oil or wine in, broke. So then that is on the middleman. And then we have another, another, and when you're selling, when you're give, selling somebody oil and you're pouring it out of a jug, you have to lean the jug over, right? Once you measure it out, you lean it over and all the way until you have at least the last three drops. But if you lean it over and then uh, some oil comes and congregates, aggregates, and doesn't flow out, so that belongs to the seller. And Rashi says it belongs to the seller because the the buyer gave up on it. Actually, we see that in And the store owner who sells it out, who sells and pours out uh, oil, does not have to uh, wait for the three drops, for the last three drops. Rabbi Huda says, on Arab Shabbat, as it's getting dark, you don't have to do this. Now, the question, and the Gemara is going to ask the question, what is Rabbi Huda's statement referring to? So we'll get there. Hamida Deman. So the Gemara says, whose measuring vessel is this? If you're going to say that it is the, a vessel that belongs to the buyer, so then when the Mishnah says, Up until when the measuring vessel fills up, it belongs to the seller. What are you talking about? It's the a vessel that belongs to the buyer. And we said that the vessels of the buyer acquire. Right? We said that earlier. So maybe it is a vessel that belongs to the seller. If uh, if it was uh, after the the vessel filled up, so why do we say so it belongs to the buyer? Why do we say it belongs to the buyer? The vessel belongs to the seller, and as we know, a person's kalim, a person's vessels acquire for them. 
Amar Rabbi La Bemidat Sirsur. So Rabbi La says, now we're talking about here that the, the all the vessels, the measuring vessels, belong to the middleman, to the agent. Vaha Midiktani Seifa but what is talking about? From the fact that the Mishnah says in the end, if there was an agent between them and the vessel broke, the jug broke, it bro- it, it, it's, a, it's on the agent. So that probably means, that implies that in the beginning of the Mishnah, there was no agent between them. Reisha mida below sirsur. Seifa besirsur atmo. So, in, in the first part of the mission, we're talking about a vessel without an agent. And in the second part, we're talking about the agent himself. So in other words, in the first part, you have a vessel. The vessel belongs to the agent, but there's no agent there. In the second part, you're talking about the fact that there was, the middleman was there. Okay. If he poured it over and there, but still there was oil that, that at the end was left in the vessel, it belongs to the seller. So when Rebelezer came to Eretz Yisrael, he found Ziiri. So he said, he asked, who here, he asked Ziiri, who here was taught measurements by Rav? Meaning the, all the different halachot, the different laws that have to do with measuring things. So he pointed to Rabbi Yitzchak Bar Abdimi and said, Him. So Rabbi Yitzchak Bar Abdimi said, What is your problem? What is difficult for you? Because it says in the Mishnah here, We said there's this Mishnah which we just learned, um, and apparently Rulezer also learned it. If you pour it out and the oil congregates, so it belongs to the seller. But we have another Mishnah which says that if you pour it out and it, it congregates, it's truma. So if that if it's truma, so that means, in other words, in a case where you're pouring out oil and you're saying, well, the oil that I'm giving now is truma, well, the oil here that I'm pouring out is truma, and then there's this little bit of oil left, that, that little bit of oil is, all, is still truma, meaning that it doesn't belong to the mocher, it doesn't belong to the seller, because the seller is the guy who's dedicating this as truma as priestly gift. So therefore, the analogous case here, or the parallel case here, should be that that oil, which, you know, which is left inside the vessel, belongs to the buyer and not the seller. So why, so what's going on here? We have a contradiction. Amar Le'e, says, Ha itzmar Allah. So there is a decision about this. Amar Mishum Yerush Balim Naguba. Why? Because of uh, the the owners gave up on it. In other words, so the buyer, in the one case, in, in the case of Truma, it was all dedicated. So therefore, it doesn't make a difference where it is. It's still dedicated. But in the case of a buyer, so the buyer gave up on the fact that that those those that little bit of oil that stuck around the sides is never going to get it. Okay, but chenvani no chayav lahatif, and the the a store owner does not have to pour out the little last drops. Ibailu. So here's the the Gemara asks the question: Rabbi Yehuda, Aresha kai ulakula, Odima asefa kai ulachumra. So when Rabbi Yehuda says on Arab Shabbat, as it's getting dark, it's patur. You don't have to do this. Is he talking about the first part of the first part of the Mishnah of you have to put the three, you have to uh, let it drop three drops, or the last part of the Mishnah of that the store owner 
doesn't have to, and then Rebbe is saying only on Erev Shabbat. Tashma, so they would bring a, a, a brighter. The Tanya, it says, Rabbi Yudah, Omer, Erev Shabbat, M'chashicha, Chenvani Patur, M'bneisha, Chenvani Tarud. So Rabbi Yudah says, on Erev Shabbat, when it's getting dark, the store owner is not obligated because the store owner is involved with other things. So therefore, obviously, Rabbi Yehuda's statement goes on in the immediate previous statement that the store owner does not have to do it. And Rabbi Yehuda says that that only applies on Arab Shabbat and that that's not talking about the three last drops in the jug. And here we come to the end for this week's Daf Shpui. It's been a pleasure having you. As always, I want to thank my producer, Ellie Unger-Sargon. You should check out his podcast, Four Cubits, with Jeff Helmreich. Um, my wonderful Chavruta, Charlotte van Robert. And, of course, the communications team here at Daf Shvui, Shachar, Cohen Hodos, who made that beautiful logo. You can always follow me on Twitter at Irmiklat, I-R-M-I-K-L-A-T. And you can always get in touch with me by email at thewidowandthebrothers at gmail.com. Stay safe, look forward to, and march towards redemption. Let's hope revelation. Let's hope that liberation comes soon and in our times. See you next week. <laughs>